0: Now, today I am continuing this series that I began last week entitled, Who Is This Man? Where we are exploring the incomparable impact that Jesus has had in human history and on the human condition. And Jesus started a movement that he called the church that he intended would would continue to, to expand his radical teachings in this world in such a way that we would make the world a better place. Now, I acknowledge that the church has not always gotten things right, but when we have gotten things right, when we have returned to the radical teachings of Jesus and his radical command to love one another, to love all people, when we have done that, we have gotten a lot of things right and we have made this world a better place. Now today I want us to look at how Jesus radically changed the value of and opportunities for women. And this is very significant because Jesus grew up in a a Jewish culture that was very male dominated. And he grew up in in the time of the Roman empire, which valued women very little. And in fact, in those days, uh, women had very few rights uh, and women were the cultural norm was really to treat most women more like property than people. And last week, I told you about just a horrible practice that was not only tolerated, it was legal in that day, which was exposure. And it was where Roman fathers could abandon their babies that they did not want. And one of the primary reasons that a father would abandon a baby is because of gender. Boys were wanted. Girls normally were not. And in fact, there's a Roman law made by Romulus that sort of codified this terrible practice. And this is what it said. If you were a, a Roman father, you had to raise and care for all healthy male children, but you only had to care for and keep the firstborn female children. The other female children you could abandon at the dump. And because of this horrible practice, It led to a great disparity just in the number of men and women. Scholars estimate that there was 140 men for every 100 women. And let's just acknowledge that the devaluing of women, it didn't just happen in the ancient world. I mean, I think the modern Me Too movement has brought into the light a very dark toleration of sexual Uh, harassment, sexual intimidation, and sexual abuse within our country. And honestly, it has shocked me. I mean, I think about my mom and my daughter. I think about my sister, my wife. I think about my coworkers and friends who are female. I think about the the women watching today. I don't want you growing up in a world where you are demeaned and devalued because of your gender. I want us to experience a world (laughs) where all people are equally valued and all people have equal opportunities. And I'll assure you, that is Jesus' vision for our world. Because within the first few centuries, and we can, we can track this historically, within the first few centuries after Jesus, when Jesus' followers begin to spread and they begin to grow and they begin to influence their culture, within just a few centuries after Jesus' the balance in the number of girls and boys of men and women began to even out. Why is that? Because the followers of Jesus went to those sites where the girls were abandoned and they took them in and raised them as their own. And they valued the girls and they cast vision for those little girls to see that they were valuable and that they could live a purposeful life. And so today, my goal is whether you've been a follower of Jesus for years or if you're still just exploring our faith, my goal is to inspire you by the way Jesus valued and and indeed empowered women in his day and that he meant that to be a significant part of his movement. And so what I want to do is trace how we can see how Jesus uh, valued women and empowered them for ministry. And I want us to begin with uh, an unusual conversation that Jesus has. In fact, in John's account of Jesus' life, this is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus ever had with any person that we have recorded. And what's interesting about it is that it's a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And that makes it interesting on two fronts. First, that she was a Samaritan. It was interesting because Jews normally did not associate with or talk with Samaritans. Secondly, it's that she was a woman and normally Jewish men did not talk with women who were not a part of their family, at least not about significant things. And so let me set up the scene. Uh, Jesus' disciples have gone to buy food for them to eat. Jesus is at a water well. He's thirsty. It's in the heat of the day. And the Samaritan woman comes to draw a well. And they they get into a conversation where Jesus begins to talk to her about a different kind of water, a spiritual kind of water. He called it living water that could well up within her and give her eternal life. And the woman said, and, and, and think about it. So this woman is one of the first people that Jesus ever offered eternal life to. I think that's significant. Well, this Samaritan woman said, I want that water. Give me that water. Notice how Jesus responds. This is John chapter four, verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She replied, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The truth is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. The woman said, sir, I can see you are a prophet. Now she says that because Jesus knows facts about her story in her life that he could not know if it wasn't a miracle. Now, normally at this point, interpreters point out, the fact of the woman having had five husbands and that she's living with a man that's not her husband as evidence that she is sexually immoral. And honestly, for much of my life, that's how I interpreted the passage because I thought that's what it meant. But I've realized that is a a misinterpretation of what was going on in their day. Because in their day, women did not have a right to initiate divorces. Only men could. So if she had been married five times, that means the men in her life had rejected her and divorced her. And the fact that she's living with a man that's not her husband, I'll assure you that's not her preference because it leaves her no recourse if he would die. She would have no legal standing to have any of his property. In fact, the the reason she's living with this guy is probably because she's a poor woman She has no close family who would take care of her. And she's living with this man just to survive. And so Jesus is having this spiritual conversation with her. And he didn't bring up her past about her husband's and that she's living with this guy to shame her. He's actually in some ways letting her know, I know your story and I'm okay with it. And so Jesus begins to talk to her about this eternal life that that he can offer her. And the woman surfaces that she knows of and believes in the coming Messiah, the promised one, the son of God, who would come and give people this kind of life. And Jesus tells her, the one who is speaking to you, I am he, I am the, the Messiah. And the woman believes in him. And I think this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is so significant on many fronts. The most important part, I think, is that Jesus, in essence, is telling her, I know you. I know your story. I know your life has been hard. And I accept you where you are, as you are. And I reveal myself to you. I am the Son of God. And I offer you eternal life. And that woman, that Samaritan woman, who had been rejected by so many other men, now finds herself accepted by the Son of God. And she believes in him. It's a beautiful part of the story. And when other men have rejected her, Jesus has accepted her. And I want you to know, men and women, no matter what you have experienced in life, no matter what you have done, Jesus knows your story and he accepts you where you are as you are. And he also offers you eternal life. If you will believe he is the son of God. Well, this woman, the Samaritan woman believes in him. And what I think is so interesting. So she's still sitting there talking with Jesus back and forth in this spiritual conversation. And I want us to look at what happens when his disciples get back. This is John uh, four twenty-seven. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. You see, what Jesus is doing here, having a lengthy spiritual conversation with a woman, it was radical. Nobody did that in Jesus' day. And for Jesus to do this, and this happened early in his ministry, so his male disciples weren't used to seeing this. And it's so significant because Jesus was not only breaking down racial barriers, and that is why he came, he was also breaking down gender barriers. Well, as I said, this woman believed in Jesus. And while Jesus is talking with his disciples, she goes back to her hometown and begins to tell them about Jesus. And she says, I think we found the Messiah. I think I've met the Messiah. And Jesus comes into her hometown. And notice what John says happens because of that woman's testimony. This is John four thirty-nine. John writes, many of the Samaritans Think about that. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. Isn't that awesome? This, Think about it. This woman became the first evangelist in the region of Samaria. She believed in Jesus enough to speak about him with others and shared her faith with others. And many people believed in him because of her testimony. And I want to suggest to you that that's because Jesus met her where she was, valued her as a person and helped her to grasp that she had purpose in life too. Now, I want us to look at another scene, another uh, setting, where I think we find out just how inclusive Jesus uh, is in the area of, of gender. And it's one of those passages, it's sort of a quirky passage. It's one of those passages where you get a list of a lot of names. And honestly, sometimes I think when we come to those lists of names, we just sort of skip over it, you know, and get to the good part. But in this list of names, I think there's something significant. Okay, you ready? This is Luke chapter eight, verse one. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So he's doing ministry. The 12 were with him and also some women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of King Herod's household, Susanna, and note this, many others. And he's talking about many other women. These women were helping to support them out of their own finances. Now these people men and women who were traveling with Jesus they were learning from Jesus they were being trained by Jesus to be leaders in his movement and there several uh, observations I want to make about just how radical this is first of all in their culture in the first century women did not normally travel uh, you know, outside of the household other than going to religious festivals. And when they did that, it would be with their whole family. They would travel together. It's very unusual for women to be traveling with other men who are not a part of their family. Second thing that is significant is that it's very unusual for women to be receiving formal education and formal training. Very few women got the opportunity to do that. And nobody, nobody in that day, trained men and women side-by-side together. Any training that happened was always gender-specific. Jesus was truly radical. And then on top of all of it, I think what's so cool about this passage is women were some of the first financial supporters of Jesus' movement. Can I just say, way to go, women. Now, I want us to look at another passage that I I think really gives us the clearest example of just how radical Jesus' inclusiveness uh, related to gender is. And so uh, this is Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister named Mary, and this this is very important, who sat... At the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, that last phrase there, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said, is very important because in Jesus' day, that was a technical term. If you sat at the feet of a rabbi, that meant you were that rabbi's disciple, that meant you were receiving formal training from that rabbi. And so it's so significant that Mary is, is a disciple of Jesus, which means she is learning his ways, learning his teachings so that she can go out and be a leader and teacher herself. Now, some tension happens in this setting because her sister Martha is getting the meal ready, which is the normal role that a female would have in a setting like this, whereas she's sitting there listening to Jesus, which is more normal for the, uh, of a male role. And so Martha gets a little flustered by it all. And she complains to Jesus and says, how come my sister's not helping me? Because this is the female role. Notice how Jesus responds. This is uh, Luke 10, 41. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Martha is doing what her culture says a woman's role is. Mary is doing what her culture says is the role for men to be learning as a disciple. And Jesus tells her this is so significant. He tells her this will not be taken away from her because what she has chosen is better. And by saying this, Jesus is letting people know, hey, in my movement, I am going to train and raise up women disciples too. And they're going to be teachers. They're going to be leaders in my movement. And then as if just to make sure that everybody in his movement gets it, that women are going to be key leaders in his movement. Jesus does something that, that was really shocking. And so let me set it up. On a Sunday, three days after Jesus was arrested and crucified and buried in a a tomb with a large stone rolled in front of it, a group of women go to the tomb and they're going to wrap his body with spices and stuff. We think there's about five or six of them together. And what the scripture tells us is when they get to the tomb, the stone has been rolled away and Jesus' body is gone. Then two angels appeared to the women, and this is what they say. This is Luke 24, 6. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. So these women become the very first followers of Jesus to witness the stone rolled away from the tomb and the empty grave, the empty tomb. And we know from John's account of this same incident that Mary Magdalene either went back to the tomb or stayed at the tomb when these women came back to the place where they were staying because Mary Magdalene, while she was weeping, wondering about what had happened, Jesus appeared to her, called out her name and she reached out and touched him. She was the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead. And I think it's so significant that a woman was the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead. Because in their day, women were not considered very credible uh, witnesses. In fact, in Jewish courts, their testimony was not considered as valid as men's testimonies. And I think it's also significant what kind of woman Jesus appeared to first. We know enough about Mary Magdalene's story to know she had suffered a lot in her life. And I think what's so cool about Jesus appearing to her first, I think it sets the tone for who his movement is for and and what his movement is all about. You see, Jesus' movement is not for neat people with neat lives who want to get together to keep their neat lives neat. Jesus' movement is for messy people with messy lives and messy baggage who are hungry for the kind of new life Jesus can offer all people. And so after Mary sees Jesus, she goes back to the house where the other woman had already told the disciples, his body's missing, the, the, tomb, the, tomb, the, the stone's been rolled away, his body's missing. Mary goes back and tells them, I've seen Jesus, he's risen from the dead. Notice how Jesus, this is so funny to me, notice how Jesus' male disciples disciples, his handpicked disciples responded. This is Luke uh, 24, 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can you imagine how frustrated those women had to feel? I mean, the, the men were saying, look, we don't believe you. Yeah, you can say that, but we don't believe you. Well, wouldn't you like to have been in the room when later that, that same day jesus appeared in the room and then he showed his hands and he showed his side to all of his disciples who were gathered there men and women don't you know at least one of those women who had seen the empty tomb and mary magdalene who saw jesus body already don't you think one of them said hey jesus is risen and i told you so now jesus valuing women in the way he did and in training them in the way he did and empowering them the way he did, set in course what, what he expected from his movement, which was that women would have key a key role in the expanding and growing movement that he started. And the radical value that Jesus showed women, it impacted the early church. In fact, we know, you can go, go in and piece together different aspects of Paul's letters. We know that roughly half of all of the household that served as the the points where the churches would gather in larger houses, we know that roughly half of them were headed by women. And then at the very end of one of Paul's most significant letters, the letter he wrote to the believers in Rome that we call Romans, the last chapter is mostly him recognizing uh, and uh, sending greetings uh, to the various leaders within the church movement. And if you go and read through the list, many of those are women. In fact, one of, one of the women whose name is Junia, Paul even identifies as an apostle. That means that she was an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection and it means she was one of the key leaders in the early church. And so uh, I just want, I feel like this, this understanding of how Jesus trained and empowered women in the early church movement, it says something to us today about how we should value and empower women among us. And so I want you to know at City Church, we try to practice what Jesus did in his day. And so here at City Church, we have female elders, which is the governing board of our church. Here at City Church, we have female pastors and leaders here at City Church, we have female theologians and teachers, and our vision is to raise up the next generation of men and women to lead this church movement of love and grace and following the radical teachings of Jesus into the next generation. And so I want to say first to, to the women who are watching, if you have ever been demeaned or, or hurt or abused by any church culture because you're a female, please know that is not the kind of culture Jesus created. I encourage you to forgive those who have hurt you or wronged you. And I encourage you to rise up, to become fully who God sees in you. I encourage you to rise up and take all of your talents and your abilities and your gifts and your passions and to to fulfill your purpose in life in your own unique way. That is what will make this world a better place. And I say to the men watching me, I'm asking you to rise up and encourage the women in your life and to treat them as equal brothers and sisters in God's family. And if you ever see any gender bias in the workplace or in the community, rise up and say something about it. Let's rise up. And let's make our churches and our communities places where all people are equally valued and equally loved and have equal opportunities. I think that is what will make this world a better place. And so I I decided while I was doing a message uh, talking about how Jesus so valued women and and empowered them for ministry, I wanted to end by hearing a female voice. And so uh, Dorothy Sayers was uh, the very first woman to earn a degree from Oxford University in England. And she also became a prolific novelist. And she did so in a time when educational opportunities and work opportunities were very limited to women. But she also became a devoted follower of Jesus. And partly why is because of the way she recognized Jesus valued and treated women. And in one of her essays, she talks about this aspect of why she became a follower of Jesus. And I quote, these are her words I think I have never heard a sermon preached on the story of Martha and Mary, the one we looked at earlier, that did not attempt to explain away its context. Martha was doing a really feminine job, whereas Mary was just behaving like any other disciple, male or female. And that's a hard pill for most men to swallow. Perhaps it's no wonder that the women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. And there has never been another like him, a prophet and teacher who never nagged them, who never treated them as the women God help us or the women God bless them, who rebuked without demeaning, and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, who never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no ax to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. And so this Oxford scholar, this prolific author, was drawn to this man, Jesus. Because there was never, never another man like him. Who is this man who so valued loving women, all women, and teaching and training all kinds of women and empowering all kinds of women? Who is this man? I suggest to you, this man is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God. And I ask you to believe in him and to follow him too. Let's pray together. And if you've never expressed your faith in Jesus, if you've never put your trust in him as the son of God, I invite you to do that today with me. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and I encourage you just to pray with me as an expression of your faith. Are you ready? God, I believe in you. And I believe Jesus is your son. And I believe he can give me eternal life. And I believe he can give me an an abundant life here and now. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me your child because I put my trust in him, your son. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray uh, for all of us that you would give us opportunity where we can to encourage one another, all of us, male and female, to rise up, to value all people, and to empower all people to live their purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.